0: I'll take uh, things that will never happen for a thousand.
1: Incoming transmission. Engage house party protocol. Mark 4, powering up. Mark 17, powering up. Mark 44, powering up. Suits are online. Welcome to House Party
2: Protocol. Power-up Suits, and welcome in to another episode of House Party Protocol. My name is Will, and with me today, I have not one, but two guests. And it's the one and only Nate from the Gamers Guild. What's happening,
1: Nate? Not much, man. Always uh, happy to be back and talk about some MCP stuff.
2: Oh yeah, can't wait. And then... The other guy is the one and only Merzane from Merzane Things and Stuff.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's that's basically the best uh, possible
2: intro for me. That's right. (laughs) What's happening, dude? Uh, Nothing much. Just chilling on my off day, talking to you guys. Nice. I love it. So this is going to be kind of a different show today. We're going to do a character breakdown because we did get the spoiler for Clea. So we're going to talk about Clea today. And then we're going to take kind of a deep dive into NASHCON and talk about the games there. We're going to talk about kind of all the, the tournament scene, kind of what that was like. And we're going to get Nate's perspective as a tournament organizer. And we're going to kind of, you know, talk about things we want to maybe see in the next iteration of NASHCON or something like that or, and and all that good stuff. And then we've got a, a whole bunch of questions from the Discord server so we'll be diving into all of that here, but first up, gentlemen, let's talk about the recently spoiled Clea. And the first thing I want to talk about, as usual, is her model because I think it's kind of cool. Like it's it's got a little Scarlet Witchy thing going on and like a little Wong thing going on, kind of combination, and I kind of like that. Uh, you said Clea's model? Yeah, I haven't seen it. What?
0: Like, I've seen it in the videos, but I haven't got, like, a good view of it, so I don't really know what she looks like. It hasn't stuck with me yet.
2: Well, I mean, it's I will, It's not something that's, like, out there, awesome, you know, like Dormammu, but it's still – it's it's just cool. It's nice. You know what I'm saying? It's just nice. It's just nice. You know. Well,
0: I will say one thing I would like to see a little bit more of, and I may get, you know, hate for it, is I would like some more, like, simple models. Okay, I'm looking at her now. Yeah, I like that. It's
2: I like the little thing in her hand. Right, exactly. It's just kind of cool. What do you think, Nate?
1: Uh, very much along the same lines as uh, Josh. I think on this one, like it, it's nothing too complex. Uh, it's still better than like Iron Man just like standing there holding out a fist. She's got a little bit of a uh, mystique stuff. Uh, looks like sh- her foot is yeah, just barely levitating there. Uh, so good skull looks like she'll have a, a pretty good connection point. Uh, mm-hmm. ankle will still kind of be that weak point, but I don't think it's going to be as bad as like a, a Shuri or something. Definitely. Speaking
0: of Shuri, mine literally broke when I got home and I cannot get her to reattach at that ankle.
1: Ugh. Did she break when you got home or did she break when you threw a burrito at her?
0: No. <laughs> uh, cause I, she was when I had specifically checked at the event and she's, she's broken on her ankle before, but that was like months ago. She was fine, but I got home, and I think all the vibrations, because like, that's the long, furthest I've traveled in a long time, I think uh, it messed with that glue.
2: And uh, she was leaning when I got home, and I can't get her to sit upright anymore. She finally snapped. I mean- She's finally done. You know, hanging out with you for a long period of time could sometimes make that happen to people. <laughs> Holla. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, you want simpler models, just take a look at the Ms. Marvel model. I think that one's pretty simple. Anyways, <laughs> I digress. Let's talk about Clea's stat card here. So we have Clea with an alter ego name of Clea. She has a stamina value of five. She moves medium. She is size two and a threat value of three. She has a physical defense of two, an energy defense of three, and a mystic defense of four. So pretty vanilla stat line on the top there. She, she also, it's all the same. On the backside as well, on her injured side, but the two physical defense just really—it always scares me. Anytime I see a two,
0: it's just kind of like a growing trend with the uh, convocation people, though, isn't it? Like it is,
1: it is. It's a it's a it's a bad trend. It's it's a trend that they don't want to be setting.
0: Well, I they agree. do have that 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 ironbound book of Sheagorath or whatever it's called,
2: right? Yeah, which is good, but I don't think it makes up for it. You know what I mean? You're probably right.
1: So let's see. That's uh, Clea is a in affiliation uh, to physical defense. Strange only has three, but that's like his norm. Uh, the Hood, who I'm pretty sure is convocation, uh, is a two. Doctor Voodoo is a two. Uh, Baron Mordo, Mordo, yep, is a two. And the ancient And one. so like a lot of these characters have ways to kind of finesse around it and stuff to to help out with either some like re rolls or some sort of like add dice effects. But man, when the most common attack type out there is physical and you're just setting yourself up for it, it's uh it looks bad.
2: I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, What do you think of her attacks, Nate?
1: Uh, Well, all in all, I think her attacks are quite nice. Her first one is a mystic one called Demon Claws of Dinok. It's a range of three, strength of four, four, zero power, and it has that lovely line of text I love seeing on any strength four attack. It says, after this attack is resolved, the character gains one power. Additionally, if you manage to get a wild, uh, you will give the bleed condition to the enemy character. So nothing crazy there. Uh, Seems pretty straightforward. Uh, However... Her Spender, another mystic attack, I see Tendrils of ichthalon. as a range of four, strength of six, four, three power. Uh, And this one is very dependent on your results, but man, if you can hit some good results, you're going to have a good day. Uh, If you get a wild, you will slow the enemy character. If you get a wild and a hit, you will stun and slow the enemy character. And if you somehow manage to get a crit, wild, hit, and block, you will slow, stun, and stagger the enemy character wow
2: that is a lot and I, I think it's one of those things chasing that stagger is something that i'm gonna do i'm gonna chase that dragon but i don't ever expect to get it
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll take uh things that will never happen for a thousand <laughs> yeah exactly
1: i'll, I'll take that bet.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> So someone's gonna get it somewhere. They're gonna it's be one of those things just like, yeah, I pumped like four extra dice into it and like eighteen rerolls and I got it,
2: guys. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That that's definitely how that's gonna happen. But when it does happen, it's gonna feel good. But all in all though, I, I like her attack profile here. I think that the demon claws being range three is a little bit of a, you know, like <gasps> moment, you know, like hold your breath, clutch your pearls because she's probably gonna die after you do it. Um <laughs> you know, but I do like that she gets one flat power from that, just because four dice attacks just seem to be so wildly kind of swingy, whether you're going to get all or nothing. It feels like, at least for me in, in my games, it's all or nothing with those attacks. So, getting the one power there is great.
0: Sometimes you get one shot by an impact webbing, right? And sometimes you just do no damage over exactly. the course of the entire game with impact webbings.
1: Exactly.
2: That is, I'm, I'm about that life, believe me. And, and then I like that her spender is only three. I mean, it's not going to take down any big targets. It's only six dice. But I think, as we will see in her superpowers, that she's kind of got a different role than kind of putting out the hurt.
0: Yeah. And, and one thing I've liked a lot about this current wave is all the three-cost mystic attackers. Because I, I think that's a good point slot, and I think they're doing a good job, like, giving the mystic profile to affiliations that can't afford a four or a five. But a three is something they can easily splash for. And we're getting a whole lot of different flavors of them. With like, you know, we, we had Mysterio and now we've got Clea and Baron Mordo and Hood. Absolutely. So I think that's a really good thing. But superpowers? Yeah, go for it. Superpowers. All right, so she's got Descendant of the Faultine. It is an action. She gains three power, rolls five dice. For every skull she rolls, she takes a damage. Uh, she's got Oshthur's Mighty Hand. You choose it's a three cost, choose an interactive terrain feature or an enemy character, size two or less, and within three, and throw it short. And then she's got the Vapors of Dormammu. Choose this character or another allied character within three and place it within two of its current position. Can only be uh, a character only be moved by it once per turn, and that costs three. And then unlike Ghost Rider, who is literally on (laughs) fire, she is immune to incinerate. (laughs) Yeah. So aside from the range 3 throw which is pretty impressive her other two the uh the uh, gain 3 power and the uh move people with vapors of dormammu she's basically like a mini uh red skull yeah uh, those are both basically ripped right off of his card if i uh except to think his um his teleport you can teleport within range 4 correct but she's a three costs and has mystic attacks so i think
2: that's a fair trade yeah what do you think of this one nate
1: a uh, really nice kit. Uh, one noticeable difference, and it's a minor noticeable difference between uh, Red Skull is also on uh, her Cosmic Cube superpower that costs an action. Uh, on the back side, uh, she doesn't take hits from or damage from rolling blanks as well, whereas Red Skull, once he gets onto that injured side using the Cosmic Cube, is a little bit more dangerous.
0: True. She also has less health and can one-shot herself on the front side, though. Is another good difference to, to uh-huh.
1: keep track of.
2: <laughs> Again, things I'll take that will never happen for a thousand. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I, I messed that, that joke <laughs> up, but you'd get it. You get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I I really like her kit as a whole, and I think that she is an interesting character in, in a lot of ways with like what you're going to see on the tabletop because I don't think you're going to see her in any kind of a fight. Like I think she's kind of like baby Lockjaw. In a sense, like, Lockjaw is one of those characters that I've seen a lot of kind of come up on lately. Like, everybody's like, oh, Lockjaw is one of the best three-threat support characters in the game. And it's like, I love Lockjaw. He's great in a lot of ways, but outside of the first one or two turns, his utility kind of dwindles because he has a hard time kind of getting there and doing the things and being next to people to gain that power. So what I like about Clea here is that she's able to gain that power just on her turn as an action, get to where she needs to be to be within range three of her friends, and then teleport them. Even though it's only range two, that little bit of extra movement can make a big difference to certain characters. So I kind of really like it, and I like how it's turned on right from turn one. She's able to do this and kind of get someone into a more threatening position. And if she's played in affiliation... I think that there's a lot of characters that are really going to benefit from this. That, you know, I think the ancient one is one that will benefit from this a lot because the ancient one's kind of squishy too, in a sense, but can get up there, use their own teleport to get out of the way instead of having to like use their teleport to get in the fight a little more. So I think I see her more as like a backline support character, like on a D or B secure, she's going to kind of be hanging out on one of the, the quote unquote home points more often than not.
0: Yeah. Um one thing I will say cuz you mentioned Lockjaw is actually going to bring up Lockjaw. I remember when Lockjaw was first like teased and a bunch of people thought, you know, he was going to like almost break the game cuz his support power was so cool. But one of the things that I think we found out with like him and and Wong too cuz a lot of people thought Wong was going to be just nutty and everywhere is a uh, the game has a little bit of trouble sometimes uh dealing with pure support pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because, like you mentioned, like Lockjaw kind of drops off later on in the game. Uh, and that, that's true for most of the support characters, is they kind of get their one or two things, where they help your guys, but they don't really contribute to the win very much. Um, I think the difference between those kind of characters, like Lockjaw and Wong, and Clea, is Clea also has you know, the Mystic attacks, which is pretty relevant in certain matchups. So if you just need a clutch mystic attack, she can do it. But another thing she's got is she's got the um, she's got a throw. Uh, and personally, I always pay close attention to any three costs with a throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, threes are like to me where the game sort of played at. You, you splash threes in your lists more often than you splash other people typically. So you're more likely to see Clea than, you know, like a five cost with a mystic attack and a throw if that exists. Uh, and that throw can win a game. You could throw someone off a point and stand on it and win. Uh, you could throw someone into someone else and kill them both. So unlike those other two, I think she actually has like some direct board presence that the, uh, Lockjaw Wong and some other supports are kind of lacking. I think that that kind of keeps her, the, the the mystic and the throw kind of keep her a little bit more relevant later on in the game than your, uh, your other support characters that kind of tend to drop off and i think that might have her see more play than a lot of people are realizing right now
2: i think you're right about that i think i think you're right and uh i I really i like that take a lot and overall though let's let's talk about where we see her playing and in affiliation wise i think her main spot is definitely going to be her home affiliation because you've got a doctor strange that's five you've got the Dr. Voodoo who's four, Ancient One who's four. So you're going to, I think, see her splash in there depending on what people want to do with Mordo and stuff like that. But, Josh, where else do you see her?
0: Um, It's hard to say. Like, I don't think I would play her in Sam Spam, which is where I'm currently feeling things. Um, mm-hmm. A-Force might be kind of cool where she can kind of get fed power, and she can sort of move some of your pieces around. Like, you know, people don't... You, you typically like like, your Koye and your She-Hulk and their bodyguarding stuff. She can kind of... If they move their your pieces away from each other to try to, you know, impact key pieces without yeah. a bodyguard, you can use her to put them back without activating them, because sometimes you've either already activated them or you don't want to activate them yet. Right. Uh, um, it's hard to say. Like, a lot of these Convocation pieces, like... Are really weird and complex and different. So, like, I think more than any other affiliation, like convocations, going to need a lot of like playtime because like just reading what people have said about them, because they're way too big brain for me to figure out. So I'm waiting for people to tell me how they work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of what I've read is that like people are having a little bit of a hard time figuring out how they work. Like that there, there's a lot going on under the hood of this affiliation. And I Uh think that each individual piece is really contributing to that. I think she can kind of go in a lot of places, but finding her home is going to be a, you know, a process.
2: I can agree with that. What do you think, Nate?
1: Uh, I, I think that stands really true for pretty much all of the convocation pieces, except for maybe, uh, the two doctors that are in the team, uh, because man, they're, they're just kind of different. They're weird. Uh, and uh, it definitely makes them stand apart in a good way, though. Uh, I do think of the threes, Mordo or Mordor, uh, it's not Mordor, is it just Mordo? It's Mordor. It's Mordo. it's Mordo. All right, Mordo. Uh mm-hmm. I think he's going to be the one to more often see play, but at the same time, uh, man, I, something I don't know if you guys have already talked about it, uh, but if she is, uh, if you're worried about like a middle point objective, uh, if your opponent uh, is picking up a middle objective point or securing a middle objective point, she can just move up descendant and then instantly uh, have her throw available online to throw somebody on a center point.
0: Yep, it's kind of she. She's kind of like the Valkyrie of three th- uh, three range throws. Like she can't. Do it every turn based on like her passive generation, but if you need a throw, like every turn she can do a throw.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost more like a a, a Spider Gwen start.
0: Yeah, sort mm-hmm. of. Yeah, I'd agree where, with
1: that. Where it's not because uh, Valkyrie has the upside of being able to get in there and then she's securing that point once the throw is completed. Uh, so Cleo's not quite on that level, but still, turn one control on center of the board is never going to be a bad thing.
0: Yeah, I maybe that. I was a little, uh, uh, I, I was meaning to say she she has the throw available to her every turn like Valkyrie, not that she's got the same impact. Fair. <laughs> yeah, uh, Valkyrie being able to double move and throw is a really big deal. Uh, Clea isn't quite there, but like if you're, if you're dug in or if, like you said, you want to harass a middle point, you can put her in a good position and do that. Uh, one thing you mentioned too was Baron Mordo. Uh, I think I like Hood a lot better than Mordo. But that's the cool thing about all these mystic this new Mystic Three threats is like like I was saying with Clea, like I don't think there's a right answer for any of them. I think that they all do such unique things. Like you're you're gonna see different people bring them for their own reasons and for their own unique strategies, which I think is a great place for the game to go in. Because like that. Hood's gang just screams to me like this super fun consistency piece like playing sam spam like hood as my one of my out of affiliation options just giving everyone a reroll sounds nutty sounds
2: amazing and i want it in my life yes so yeah i think i'm with you on all of this discussion about clea i think her throw being one it's range three which i think is something that is easily overlooked when you think about a lot of characters like Valkyrie, hers is range two. So, like having that throw range three, being able to threaten the middle of the board turn one with that to steal some points, I think is very valuable. And I'm with you, Josh, in that I think overall the book is yet to be written on Convocation, and we're just going to have to see what they are like when those games are in. And one interesting thing about these characters overall is that. I think that they're going to turn some people off long-term that play them a little bit to begin with and then maybe it doesn't hit right for them so they move on to something else because inevitably something else is about to come out. You know what I mean? So I think I could see a scenario where they don't really have a massive presence, but the people that really take the time to dive into this affiliation as a whole are going to be really well-versed in them and and are really going to surprise some people, I think, at times.
0: Yeah, Convocation is a real deep
2: toolbox to dig into. It's going to take a lot of time. Exactly. And with that, let's go ahead and move on and talk about some questions that we got about Clia specifically from our Discord, and if you want to check that out, it's uh, patreoncom protocol. You can join our Discord server through there, and it's a dollar a month, so twelve bucks a year to support us and just you know help pay for the hosting, all that good stuff. And it's so 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 greatly appreciated. And our Discord server is pretty chill. I did at everyone. I think three times yesterday and I'm really sorry for that. <laughs> I don't usually like blow people's stuff up with notifications, but at the same time, it was worth it, you know. I was we were getting show questions and then also just as an aside real quick on the Discord channel what we're doing is so many extravaganzas coming up. So I did a little challenge out there. I'm going to do a uh, a giveaway to whoever guesses most of the models that get spoiled that haven't already been revealed. So, like, you know, we know Hulkbuster and Ms. Marvel are coming, so they wouldn't be options. But, you know, if you you get a list of five and if you guess four out of five, well, then you might win a box with the tiebreaker being obscurity, because why not? You know, and obviously it's a little bit subjective, but I think it's going to be fun, and so far everybody's putting some fun stuff out there. So, uh, if you are interested in that and interested in supporting us, then uh, just hop on over to Patreon and uh, sign up over there. And with that, we've got Pickle, who says, "Regard to Clea, how do you feel? They basically took some of Red Skull's personality and stuck it on another model at only three threat." And Josh, you mentioned this a little bit. I I think it's fine. There are some differences, and. I don't hate it and Red Skull still has a whole bunch of different kit that he uses. Now, I think most people associate him with his master of the cube and teleporting and all that stuff because of the, the Modoc stuff that he does there, but I don't think that having some of the same stuff on a model that's lower cost is like a bad thing.
0: No, I I think that you're gonna see a lot of like retrains, right? You're gonna see similar abilities bleeding into other models maybe sometimes even better and i think that's okay like i like bodyguard right there's only like bodyguards gonna show up on a lot of people that doesn't start to invalidate a Koye. exactly because more people have um bodyguard it can just give you a different flavor of how that is um how that is done um and like I said, like you're not going to, like you said, you're not going to take them for the same reasons. You're going to take her at three threat out of affiliation. She probably won't ever show up in Cabal. I mean, she might, you might see her Cabal, but I doubt, I kind of doubt it. Right. But Red Skull is like one of the go-to, you know, Cabal pieces because he's one of the leaders. And his, his support is also backed up by the, the strong attacks he can bring. Whereas she is more of a harassing pure support piece for a cheaper price.
2: Exactly. Nate what do you think
1: yeah I think uh, she is definitely a little bit more of a a copy and paste uh, as far as some of that uh, superpower and how they interact uh, especially having the it's not just like oh she has the the range to place effect it's also she has the gain three power at the uh, the cost of potentially hurting herself some so there, there's a lot of similarities but I think it's fine uh Red Skull is a crazy amount more durable than she is, Uh, in addition to just so many other just differentiating uh, factors, the different threat levels, uh, play style, because Red Skull can get up into a brawl and be adequately okay and also stay at range and still do some decent work. Uh, Clea is not that way. She she wants to stay at range, uh, as Will said, wants to be a backline character who's not getting into that mix too much
2: 100 mm-hmm, percent. so next up we have another question from pickle as well and i'm going to ask you this one nate first so it says do you think with more affiliations being filled out that there will continue to be splash characters out of affiliation
1: uh absolutely uh you you will always want to have either like your your team can be really good so i'm thinking Right now, Web Warriors is something that I've been uh, playing with a lot since Black Hat and ASM have entered into the mix. They don't really have; the, they've got Daredevil, and Daredevil can still synergize. Uh, but there are so many other four threat characters that can fill in in a Web Warrior roster that doesn't they they don't fit the same roles. Mm-hmm. So, like Daredevil can be like a good attrition-y four threat if that's what you're going for. Uh, but being able to throw in a Medusa or a Black Panther or enchantress uh, as a Four threat web warriors is going to bring a lot more to the table than what Daredevil does.
2: Yeah, no, I feel that. What about you, Josh?
1: Um I think everything he said is correct.
0: Um, <laughs> I will say I think that they're doing a good job with like convocation. They feel like you know a affiliation that wants to be more pure you want to take mostly convocation people because of all the tactics cards they bring Mm -hmm. um but outside of specific things like maybe them spider foes is kind of the same way where they've got a bunch of tactics cards for their characters and i think that's a defining reason why you would bring spider foes um i think the vast majority of affiliations are going to look for out of affiliation options to fill in holes or um get that extra oomph and power in a certain direction um uh, unless, you know, this is not counting like maybe, you know, five years from now when the affiliations could be huge and, you know, have literally everything. Um, right. But as far as I can tell going forward from now, I, I, I don't see the, the out-of-affiliation splash changing.
2: Yeah, I'm with you there. And then next up we have Spider J 2 says, do you feel that with the increase of mystic-based characters like what is coming out in this wave – that you now have to build for how to counter or fight it in your rosters. And I'm gonna start on this one. I don't think you have to specifically build to counter the Mystic Wave. One, because I don't expect to see them as a massively popular option. Like, obviously, as someone who plays a lot of Web Warriors, I see a Mystic people, team, whatever, on the opposite side of the table, well, I'm shaking in my boots just a little bit, but not a lot, though. You know what I mean? Because, really, it's Peter Parker and Miles that have the biggest detriment when it comes to the Mystic stuff, right? So, I don't really get too worried about seeing them, and I don't feel like that dealing with them is necessarily the the way to to think about building your roster as a whole, especially if you're building a roster that's meant to be kind of broad and to whatever your play style is and additionally to that i think by design if you just build a normal roster you're gonna have the tools to deal with them because most of them are fairly weak to physical attacks so if you have some physical attacks in your list which most people will then i think you're gonna be fine and and i I just like building to fight a specific thing that isn't black order (laughs) i uh I don't know if I'm I I would go down that road personally, but at the same time, if your local meta is like all these convocation players, and then you're over here just wanting to run Avengers, then you know you do you. What I do you think? I think even Josh? running
1: Avengers is uh, okay into it. I I don't think it, convocation specifically is going to hard counter any one particular affiliation. Like sure. Steve Rogers doesn't necessarily feel great about this uh, coming to fruition, but as a whole, I think uh, in your ten, unless you've just like picked every single one of your characters to be bad against mystic attacks, uh, you're you're gonna do fine. So like going back to to web warriors because uh, it's what I've been playing too. It's like cool if I'm going up against convocation, maybe my flex character isn't Iron Fist because his martial artist doesn't care about all those mystic attacks. And so maybe I flex in somebody like Zemo, who is a great physical attacker, but then also has a a pretty staunch uh, mystic defense. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I I like that you mentioned Black Order because I was definitely going to also bring that up. Um, I think Black Order is kind of like the poster child of bringing a counter in your list, right? Yeah. But it's not really because like, it's not just because Black Order is so powerful. It's because Black Order plays a different game than you want to play. Like they're not playing traditional Marvel Crisis protocol. They're you know, they're playing something a little bit different, and if you don't have an answer and you can't either play their game or force them to play your game, you have a bad time. I, I don't think convocation plays a much different strategy than every other affiliation in the game, really. Like they they bring the mystics, but like that's just a different attack type and it ignores a little some uh, defensive tech sometimes, but you kind of mentioned i I think that the ones that are kind of sad about it aren't like oh no i just melt exactly Um, they're just kind of like "Mm, that's not as fun i don't get to do the cool stuff but i can still play this game i can still participate um and and like you like nate said i think you might swap a character or two out to help into that matchup like zemo's a great choice uh Thank you for that because now, now I'm now really looking at Zemo a little bit hard. I always forget he's got the four mystic defense. Oh, yeah, it's so good. It's really good. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think they're going to like. I, I think, like most affiliations that have come out, I don't think you're going to see a whole bunch of counter tech specifically for them.
2: Yeah, I, I can agree with that 100%. So, with that now, those are all the questions about kind of character specific things. So, now let's talk about. Nashcon as a whole as long as you guys are ready to put a button on Clea.
1: Yeah. Uh, I will add one more thing especially as we are about to start talking about Nashcon uh, and that's that I think uh, as much as Black Order deserves to maybe have a, a counter tactic card or counter character in a roster for I think uh, Sam and his uh, spammy Avengers list might also warrant uh, at least one uh, counter character to be able to uh, to go into the spam.
0: Yeah, but we're not going to talk about Sam spam because that's what I play, and I don't want to counter it.
2: Oh no, no, no! <laughs> we're gonna. Well, I need. I need to know. I, I need to know that the super secret Sam counter tech here. Uh, I mean, my guess is some somebody like Corvus would be really good because he can kill multiple models in a turn.
0: Uh, killing multiple models in a turn is pretty good. Um, also, hard control. like Enchantress. I think enchantress is one of the best. Enchantress and Medusa are probably your two best bets.
1: Yeah. Yeah, enchantress. Uh... Honestly, just Enchantress, Vision, Medusa, and probably pretty soon here, uh, Carnage makes a, a pretty good uh, argument for... I guess he's actually out now. Uh, so Carnage, I think, also makes a, a pretty good counterstatement for uh, what the Spam vengers are attempting to do. The spam I think potentially
0: bingers. to uh, She-Hulk. Uh, Sam doesn't have a lot of ways to deal with She-Hulk, especially if all you've got gets caboodled.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah interesting okay so let's talk about nashcon as a whole and nate i want to start with your perspective here more from a tournament organizer's perspective and that like how do you feel like the event went do you feel like that the the previous experience you had as an event organizer from that uh, smaller event that we did a few months ago helped inform how you would run this do you feel like let's start there
1: Cool. So one, yeah, this was my uh, my first kind of convention, miniatures convention event. Period. Uh, and so on that side of things, uh, I have zero idea how it overall went. I've been told that it went well and people enjoyed it, which is fantastic. Uh, but I'm excited to uh, to continue to go to some other conventions as the world uh, hopefully continues to open back up. But it also might just shut back down. Who knows? Uh, so. Uh, on that side of things, uh, I, I think it overall went really well, especially uh, having a little bit of experience hosting a very small event to back in, what was it, like July, June? Yeah, I think Probably it was June. June. We'll say June. Yeah. Uh, but it was a lot of fun uh, being able to just finally get to meet uh, all these people that I've been talking to for like the past year and a half online uh, and finally getting to, to put faces to names or handles and all that kind of stuff and just uh, getting some casual games in the night before uh and i will say i unexpectedly uh organizing and running the event is in some ways just as tiring as uh i'm guessing for you guys uh, playing all those rounds
2: oh i can confirm that it would uh, i was definitely tired but uh that's for my own reasons because i left straight from work to go out there but i can imagine i mean you seemed like you were you were definitely just all over all on top of everything and just kind of doing a lot, even though, you know, you weren't rolling the dice and stuff. And I, I know from my perspective, I can say I really appreciate it. I think it was a really well-run event. I really liked how you had the kind of player packet ready to go for everybody. You know, everybody kind of knew what the rules were and stuff like that. And, and That's and all a of bold that stuff.
1: statement, sir. I think maybe <laughs> half of the people there read that thing and, or even knew that it existed.
2: Okay, well, to be fair, it was available It was available.
1: It was I think it was a great resource for those who read it. Yeah,
2: exactly. There you go.
0: (laughs) I'll say running TTS events, uh, you quickly realize that it doesn't matter how well done and advertised your player packet is, you're going to answer questions that are literally like bullet points on the player packet several times before, during, and sometimes after your event.
2: (laughs) It's just inevitable. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, I um I, I think it was great. It was really well done. Just I just that's just me.
1: <laughs> well, I am glad to hear it.
2: So with that, Nate, do you feel like there was anything that you would maybe do differently in an upcoming event? Or I know that Nashcon is something that we're trying to kind of make be a thing kind of in the future. So do you see that as something that you would want to do differently?
1: Uh, so I think uh, for this year of Nashcon, uh, and, and given kind of some of the weird circumstances that was surrounding it from having our player numbers reduced to then being able to add more players and stuff like that, uh, I think this year went as well as it could have. Uh, just with some of those uh, weird factors factored in, I guess. <laughs> but uh, going forward, there's there's definitely a couple things that I want to personally change. Uh, I want to be able to have a little bit more structured, uh, organized play, ultimate encounter kind of stuff, be able to be easily accessible to people, which means leaving some tables open for not just uh, that standard tournament competitive uh, style play, because I I think that's like half of what Marvel Crisis Protocol's gameplay is kind of meant to be, is that kind of crazy, fun story narrative stuff. And those organized play kits and ultimate encounters just bring that to the forefront even more. So I'm excited to get to see more of those because I think some of uh, the players' memories, I I hope at least, uh, best ones were takeaways from doing the uh, separation anxiety kit and stuff like that.
2: Oh, yeah. I I definitely Uh, heard a lot of people talking about that and how much fun that was.
1: Yeah. Uh, So so that's one thing that I would like to change uh, going forward. Uh, Another thing is being able to add a little bit more time. To each of the rounds, probably just like another 10 to 15 minutes in total, uh, just because we, we know that there are some longer matchups that can happen, especially uh, now that we have an extra couple of larger lists that like to go wide with Sin and Sam in addition to the Guardians and what they were already trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to mention, there's just low scoring objectives. So trying to, to fit in a little bit more time uh, is definitely something I want to look at.
2: Yeah, I think that that's a really awesome thing. And and I know that it's really hard to do that with the way the event was structured in a lot of ways. And, I mean, you ended up having to play till what, 11 o'clock at night or something like that because of the way that the time and the way the event structured happened and and everything. So I definitely think, though, that from a player perspective, adding in another 10 or 15 minutes would have felt really nice. And I know uh, Josh over here, Playing Sam Spam, I mean, you've got to be on the ball with all of your activations, all your movements, everything, or else you're just going to get stuck in round three with, you know, what would seem like a whole lot of a game left to play.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, luckily, uh, I used to play a lot on Death Clock and War Machine with really big lists. Uh that had a lot of moving pieces against lists that probably had a lot of moving pieces. So like six and seven wide just feels like a, like a, a nice walk in the park in comparison <laughs> on, on a tight time schedules. Uh, a lot less decision points to a lot of these models uh, than you'd have uh, in War Machine.
2: Nice. So let me ask you now, Josh, from a player's perspective and what i'm just going to go ahead and say it right here right now the king of nashville basically <laughs> perspective because you've now won two events one of which was against the you know arguably some of the best players in this in this you know i guess middle and eastern united states if you will so how do you feel like that as an as a thing that this event was was run and everything and and look don't don't spare Nate's feelings. You can tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: no, I thought um, NashCon was fantastic. Um, I I definitely mirror a little bit of what Nate said. I think it was the best it could have been under the, sec- t- t- uh, the circumstances that we were given. Right? Like, I'm pretty sure that every single like because th- this is the first time we've we've even had Marvel Christ Protocol in in NashCon. Um the only other event I've been to at Nashcon was War Machine. Um the only real like difference was not having more events available at the time, but that was because of the COVID restrictions and all the last minute changes that we had to, you know, deal with. Mm-hmm. Um nothing on the organizers fault at all. Um and given the circumstances I think they did literally the best that I I could imagine they would have done. Um and ultimately, I think like the best part of any um, war gaming convention, it, it just needs to be a catalyst for a lot of people, a lot of friends, to come together, play fun games, and have a good time. And it did exactly that. I had a blast. Uh, it, it was like Nate said. It was it was great getting to finally meet these people that you know we've been talking to forever, mm-hmm. um, and get some you know real life games with them. Uh, prove that they don't fumble their uh, their movement sticks.
1: Uh, you did they it actually... on camera, Josh. I on...
0: I did it one time on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the clumsiest person, though.
2: I don't know. I'll a... fight you for that. I'm pretty clumsy. <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah, um, I I think that was the most important part to me. Like, uh, Nashcon would have had to have been like a detriment like an active detriment to have felt bad and it obviously it wasn't i think it was a, a great positive experience all around um yeah i'm i'm super stoked for the next one like absolutely ecstatic to go back
2: yeah i i think it was it was a lot of fun and like you said, like being able to meet everyone that you know you've, you've listened to or interacted with in some way just over the internet, and then you get to meet them, put names with faces, and then play some of those people, you know, in a, a less distant environment. Like TTS is great, and, and everything that goes on with TTS, I, I really like it, but it's a whole different thing. When you're playing in person, and especially when you're playing someone that you know is a really good player, and and you can like you know just have that interaction with them and kind of get more of a feel for like kind of what they're doing and how they play and stuff like that, and I just you know it was really great. And uh, I would like to ask you now, Josh, what kind of game stood out to you the most? Did you have like one game where it was just like just crazy time?
0: Um. God, I, I think that the one that sticks out to me the most is probably the finals game. Uh, partially because I had, to, I, I knew from the start, I had to embrace the chaos and just be like, take risks. So it was just this, from my point of view, just this wild game of that's a bad idea. I'm going to do it anyway, because if it works, it works and it's great. Um, right. also the separation anxiety game. We played, uh, raise praise Dale. Um, it was <laughs> absolutely fantastic. If you haven't played separation anxiety, uh, get three friends and do it. It is super fun. Um, but no, like every game I, I didn't have a bad game. Um, every game I played was really fun and I played against black order twice. So, uh, that should tell you something that about, says a lot. <laughs> and those were both against, uh, Sam finger guns, uh, which by the way, great opponent. Uh, I, I said it at the event. I'll say it here. Uh, that was probably the most fun game of black order on either side of the table. I played, um, both the games that we played. I know that he didn't have a great time in our second game cuz I kind of counter victim, but uh I got the I got the lose to Black Order and have a great time and then I got to feel like the Black Order player against the Black <laughs> Order player and so I got that good feeling too. Nice. Um but yeah, I, every every game was great. Um which is something unique I think. I think in a lot of my war machine gaming days, like I'd have great games, but there was always I always felt like there was that one game against one player, win or lose, where I was like, ugh, that one kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Um I didn't get that with this one. Um the closest was Kenny trying to cheese me with defenders, but uh <laughs> he, he I, loves I, I those pentathletes,
2: anyway. doesn't he? He what? He loves the pentathletes it feels like, you know the 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 pentagrams of Faralala. Yeah. Loves
0: it. So he 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 just loves Strange. If Doctor Strange's name is printed on a card, he's gonna love it. I
2: I feel that. I feel that. So <laughs> yeah, I uh I I gotta say I had some great games too and Sam Finger Guns also I played against him and so I knew kind of going into it, like I'd never played him before and I knew going into it like he was, you know, it's like the Black Order player, obviously. And so I sat down and I'm playing my Web Warriors and I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play super smart here. I'm gonna be like, play off, not let him tractor beam anybody over, and then only ever give him Venom. It's all I'm gonna do, right? And, you know, he just passes every freaking turn. So it's like, <laughs> you know, I've gotta, gotta do something with all these different models. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm not gonna run up the board too far. So we were playing Scrolls. So finally, on his last activation with Thanos. He goes up to the middle of the board, rolls for the scroll, gets it right away on Thanos. Oh, first no. turn, turn one. <laughs> and so from then on out, it was like, well, now I definitely have to come to you. So uh, here I come. And it was like the craziest. Like, he didn't really do a ton of attacking. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it was mainly just like, let me just keep Thanos over here and then try to score these other points real quick. That's all it ended up being for the most part. And it was a super fun game, though. And uh, I had a, a lot of games like that. Every game that I played at that event was was just pure fun, and I really enjoyed it. And did you see anything that you thought was, like, really unique from a list perspective? Nate, I'll start with you. Did, did you happen to notice anything that you thought was, like, really neat and different?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with no because I never really got to – just like sit down or stop and watch anybody play for a good like 10 to 15 minute span. I was always kind of trying to, to walk around the room. There were people asking for judge questions or rulings or this, that, and the other. So there weren't really, I, I didn't really get to, uh, to, to sit. Uh, I will say that uh, one of the rosters that went to the top four was one that uh, I helped a little bit put together which was uh justin's uh, invincible avengers list uh which i thought was kind of a, a cool tweak and he uh he he modified that to to be his own and did the i mean top four so did pretty well with it
2: nice nice what about uh, you josh i was gonna say i want
0: to step in because i saw I, I saw and heard about a couple of really cool lists uh justin's was one of them i love justin's list uh the invincible avengers was really cool um so what
2: is, what was the invincible avengers what is that
0: um i'll let nate take it away this is kind of his baby too uh
1: very very minor almost in more of a, a joke way that ended up really doing well uh and basically the idea is to make an extremely durable and little bit controlly uh sam spam list and so uh, you have, like, the durable Avengers already. So you have War Machine, Iron Man, and Luke Cage that all have the mm-hmm. uh, some take on the invulnerability superpower that is, uh, when you're taking damage from an enemy effect, you reduce it by one to a minimum of one. Uh, but then he also throws in characters like Lizard, Proxima Midnight, Iron Fist, who not necessarily, like, invulnerability kind of durable uh, but has like martial artists, and so he has a bunch of those kind of characters, uh, and he just throws them on the board and says deal with them, basically. Nice. Yep. Uh,
0: I, I heard there were several plays where he he played a lot of Mutant Madden Man in Swiss, mm-hmm. and uh, there would be a lot of plays where he'd go, all right, this character double moves over to this uh, point where you've got two characters, rolls four dice to try to take it, and gets it. And they're like, well, I literally can't kill Lizard because those two characters have activated and Lizard is insane. So <laughs> uh, I guess you just get that point.
2: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so continue, Josh. The, I interrupted you earlier.
0: No, you're good. I, I think that list uh, is cool enough to talk about. Um, uh, in my round two, I believe, I played against someone I think that made it to top eight, um, Eric, I believe. Uh, he played a cool like Criminal Syndicate Web Warriors build uh i don't know why that really stuck out to me i thought it was a really cool like combination of um like hard secure control that did it in two different ways and it was really like it made this really weird list build like frost or the squad building aspect where i was trying to figure out like which one do i need to do luckily i got sword base and that kind of made the decision for him um but, like, it definitely has, like, two completely different play styles built into it that if you don't choose correctly could be a real problem for you. Um, another person I think that came up from the same area as him, Menion I think it was, brought, another, I think he also made Top 8, um, brought this cool Sam build that wasn't Sam Spam, that had She-Hulk. Nice. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Um, God, there was another really cool one that I heard about, I can't remember. Um, shoot, what was it?
2: Well, I've got to give a shout out to Graham running his, I, I think it was Defenders, but having Hulk and then like Gamma launching Beast up the board and doing all these shenanigans like that. I I sat next to him. I didn't actually get to play him, but I sat next to him a couple times and, and we went out for drinks, uh, me and him and uh, Mithrandir uh, or Ron all went out for drinks uh, after the thing. And we talked about... MCP all night long. It was awesome, but uh, yeah, talking about his list, like it was just super fun to watch. Like he's he's throwing beast around and then scoring herbs and all this stuff. Like it, and he had a tie. He ended up, I think he was the one person. Him and the other his opponent. I remember who his opponent was. Like had a tie in the in the thing, which I thought was just kind of funny.
0: <laughs> there so. were three ties round one. I think it was.
2: Wow, that many. Wow. Okay, there you go. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and there was another tie later on in the Swiss, I believe.
2: That's just awesome. So, yeah, basically, all this to say, like, there was, it, it was all really awesome. I didn't feel like there was anything that was dominant, uh, per se, I guess, other than Sam's fam. Like, I think Sam's fam was the most taken thing, I think. But it felt like a really broad spread in terms of what people had on the tabletop.
0: Yeah. And I, I, was, was Sam Spam the most taken? I think there were there, five uh, people with there it. There was five? Okay. I think... Uh, oh, I remember the other one that was cool. Uh, Mike DeLuca and Sploosh took the exact same list, and uh, they were, quote, quote, X-Men builds, but they were secretly unaffiliated.
2: Ah, yes, the old unaffiliated. The, uh,
0: the beginning of the unaffiliated revolution, I
2: believe. You think so?
0: Um... I think it definitely gives merit to that uh that play style. Um, there, it was definitely like they both performed pretty well. I think Sploosh did more, um, what is it, uh, uh X Men than unaffiliated, from what I understand. But DeLuca took it all all the way to top eight with or top four with uh unaffiliated.
2: Yeah, it was it was cool watching him play that because it's it. Was one of those things where i know that the discussion about unaffiliated lists has kind of been popping up lately and i think that there is definitely some validity in it now with kind of the way that the, there's so many characters in the game that do so many cool things you know
0: yeah exactly it's give it's more and more merit to that strategy every every release i
2: feel absolutely so now let's jump into some questions here and let's see first up we have merzane ha <laughs> what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? And uh, to add add to that, we have Leland that says, African or European? Um, I don't know that one. <laughs> yeah, you don't know that one. And you asked the question. I don't know either. <laughs> so, uh, for real, though, we have Benji here. He says, tournament and competitive play questions. Now, I'll start with you, Josh. Do you feel as though MCP would benefit or suffer with a seasonal tournament document like they saw in Infinity ITS Seasons or War Machine Steamroller, uh, ITC for the Games Workshop games? And then if so, it's like what preset missions hurt the feel to each game being unique? So you have some experience with the War Machine aspect of it, so that's why I want to start with you here.
0: Yeah, Um, I have actually had this discussion once before. Um, I think it would hurt the game to have particularly preset uh, crises. Um, I think one of the really cool and unique parts about this game is the flexibility you have in impacting the game from the ground up. Um, In a War Machine game, when you go to a tournament, the TO yells out to everybody, hey, you're playing this scenario. And then you and your opponent set up the scenario. um, And then you sort of play on that scenario you didn't have any choice which one you play you don't like roll a die to see which one you get it's just everyone plays the same one which is partially so that the judge can know what everyone's playing at all times and can walk from table to table and um kind of get their mindset around that in particular um but like you don't have like there's sometimes where you'll have a list where you you maybe the combination of your opponent what your opponent's bringing and then what you're playing on and then the scenario you're playing on like Give you a really rough time you like you just didn't have a a good answer for all of those factors but in crisis protocol like being able to bring half of the objective really gives you a lot more power over the game in general um mm-hmm. not only like from like a feels good perspective like it feels good to say like yeah i helped build this portion of the game but also like counterpick strategies you know or gear check strategies like bringing sword base, or you know other things like it is as much a part of list building as adding your characters your tactics slots to me. And I think if you started doing preset ones, um, those would have to be very cool or very impactful to really help the game, or, or not hurt, not help, but hurt, not hurt the game. Um, I. I think that the biggest argument I've seen to not having that is, uh, or the best one I've seen is, it's hard for new players to get all the objectives sometimes, right? because they're split over so many packs and it's kind of expensive, but I think the answer to that is not release a packet that governs what you can play, and instead to release a pack of cards that gives you access to those without spending a fortune.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent the way to go about it. I don't think that having preset missions other than so locally we have a slow grow league that's going on right now and it's six weeks long and for the first three weeks it's preset missions to kind of get newer players in with what they're doing, and then after that it's the typical roster construction, you know, start of game kind of stuff. And I think that in that scenario, it's a really good thing. But in a tournament world, I think I could see something with a season thing being like, you know, as as the game gets older. Like I don't think we're there yet. But once we have, you know, fifty different crises from to choose from, or something, right? Like I mean, I don't know how many we have now. We got a lot. But once we have like fifty different crises to choose from, uh, a TO saying or or a season coming out saying like, okay you get these 10 secures and you get these 10 extracts that you get to choose from and saying something like that. And I think that, you know, I'm going to get Nate's perspective on this too, but I also think that that kind of helps with those bigger organized events, keep everything kind of in check for the person running it or for the people that are the judges and stuff like that. So I could see something like that down the line coming in where it's like, Maybe they rotate out some core box stuff and and some new stuff has come out. But I just don't think we're there yet. And Nate, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, First of all, European, uh, 20.1 miles per hour or about nine meters per second. (laughs) Secondly, uh, I I think maybe far, far in the game's future. uh, Like I'm talking another two years at least. We maybe see something like that. I think at this point we maybe have ten of each crisis. Right. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. Probably. Um, and I know AMG, if you look at the bottom right of all of your tactic cards and crisis cards, there's little like set symbols on them uh, that are supposedly going to maybe come up in some of their organized play. Uh, that do limit your, your card pool and what you're bringing and stuff. So I do think it is something that we see right now, but just because of how few uh, of some, like there's the main set that we had and the expansions that we had that all had the, the symbols we we saw for so long and there's just not very many of the other set symbols out there yet. So I don't think it's something that we're going to see anytime soon. Uh, And as it right now, uh, the The rules forum is more or less uh, what I'm going to be going to to get rulings anyway. So I don't think that uh, having more cards necessarily puts any additional weight on the uh, the judges or tos because it's all just kind of knowledge that for the most part we have at our fingertips anyway.
2: I think that's fair. Yeah, no, that's good. Cool. I
0: I I want to add something to that too. Uh, like you're talking about um, the set symbol, the the time they're called timelines and it is in the packets already in it, I think, I don't remember if it's in the core rule book or if it's in the um, one of the organized play documents, but they do mention being able to do variants for timeline events. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling that at some point in the future, we may rotate out timelines for certain events, or we may limit to specific timelines and characters are not included. Um, and you could probably just say like, uh, you know, we, you can take tactics cards from this timeline, but you can't take crises from this timeline.
2: That's cool. Yeah. That that'll be fun. Um,
1: yeah, Sorry. it just gets really awkward because then like certain affiliation cards are locked behind those timelines and stuff. So it's yeah. something that I don't see coming up for a while at least.
0: Yeah, definitely not. Oh, that's why I was saying like ta- you could you could say well you could take the tactics, but not the crises. Uh, the other thing too is like the crises. I feel like aren't so complex per crisis that like, it's a problem if you have a whole lot. Yeah. Like there's six shapes they can be in. So it's not like we're getting wild, you know, new, uh, brand new frontier style shapes that we have to worry about every time we, uh, play. Um, so at least setup is pretty easy. And then like, I don't know how many how many different objectives do we have right now that are just rolled to see if you control them, and Plenty like they few. play wildly differently, but like the mechanics to understand them aren't that different. Yeah. And then like scrolling alien ships are re- basically the same the same one, um, and then most of the blues are just stand here get points. Um, most of them don't require a whole lot of knowledge to judge or like understand it's just it would just be a strategic thing being able to remember all of the rules or how to play that specific scenario with your team but on the flip side i really like when i sit down at a table to play a game and i'm like i've never played this crisis combination before and it makes a difference
2: yeah it's definitely fun to do that do it that way all right, so, I did say I had some strong opinions, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I think they're good. They're, and, I, and I think you, at least, of the three of us, I think have the most experience with something like that because of your time in Warm Hordes, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, you know, yeah, strong opinions make sense. And for me, coming from, from Guild Ball, uh, the seasons that they did weren't really, like, didn't change the game. It, all it was was just, like, errata updates more than anything. So... You know, it, was, it wasn't it was any kind of like a scenario or, or try to do anything special like that. And I think to your point that you made earlier, one of the most unique things about MCP is that each player comes to the table bringing half of whatever the objectives you're going to play. So I think that that's a, a really unique part of the game that would just really suffer if they ever kind of took it away in a in a tournament environment you know what i mean so i think yeah. it's I think it's really good
0: if if the banned and restricted list is like the, the the pinnacle of how we do quote seasons since it's supposed to be a rotating list of things that go on and off as the game evolves i think that's probably like a fair place to be or uh maybe some like even just a packet that has updated like timekeeping rules or suggestions for terrain and stuff like that like that i can deal with but i i think that messing with the core like it may maybe even something like updating how many tactics cards you can have in a, a list or maybe shifting how like infinity gems work for a list because i know a lot of people had that complaint for a while right um but like i think messing with the core format of the game which you know with the crisis the way crisis tactics and characters all intertwine in your roster together. Um, I think that would be more damaging than good um, in the long run for me anyway.
2: All right. Next up, we have Benji with another question here. And this one, I'll I'll give it to to Nate first. As a tournament organizer, when setting up tables, are you trying to ensure each table has an equivalent number of each size terrain with each table still able to tell a story uh, or example of making sure that each table has between four to six size two terrain pieces? And then... uh, We'll start with that, and then there's more to this question, but start with the, those two kind of things.
1: Yeah, uh, so absolutely. For a tournament, uh, my job as a tournament organizer is to make sure all of the boards are balanced for all affiliations and different teams. Uh, so I'm not going to have like one board with three or four size five terrain pieces that's really going to give the edge to like a web warrior team or a team with a bunch of flyers, like Asgard, maybe. Uh, so I, I definitely have a kind of a, a spreadsheet of like, cool. This is how many size two terrain pieces I'm looking for on each board, which is usually somewhere between five to six size two. Then I want three to four size three. Then one to two size four. Zero to one size. I'm just kind of it goes along those lines. Uh, and so definitely want to try to make all of those boards, uh, an even experience so that like if you bring Magneto and suddenly there's only like size two uh, things to throw around, uh, it's not a sudden feel bad for the Brotherhood player.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think you did a really great job and using that stuff. And one of the things I thought was really cool was like each board had its own like kind of theme and the theme had a very uh, good spread of terrain and stuff like that. Uh, so next question that he includes here says, when using non-atomic mass game scenery, is it is it one that the tournament organizers to, is it one, I think is is it on the tournament organizers to denote the size of the terrain or is that step that should be discussed by the players prior to starting? From the pictures I saw, I really like the tables from Nashcon. Uh, and Benji, you say sorry that you have a lot of questions. That's all good, man, we love questions here. So yeah, uh, Nate, what do you think about that? I well, actually, you know what? As a player, I think it should be on the tournament organizer to determine scenery because that really takes, that could cause an argument at the table. It shouldn't in most cases, but it could. And Nate, you did a wonderful job writing on the bottom of each piece of terrain, if it wasn't an AMG terrain, what size it was. I love that.
1: Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. All of my terrain pieces, at least, uh, that were 3D printed or custom made, et cetera, uh, are definitely ones that uh, I've used a little Sharpie to to write on the bottom. Uh, even going so far as to note if maybe a terrain feature is uninteractable, uh, because sometimes it just doesn't make sense for a, a like large floor ruin to be able to be thrown, but you could probably still take a little bit of a cover behind it kind of a thing. So I uh, definitely think that that's something the, the tournament organizers should do at the same time you and your opponent should check all of the terrain features beforehand and make sure that you guys know that way middle of the game, you're not going to suddenly be like, Oh man, like I'm going to try to throw this. Oh, it's size four and not size three. Like I thought it was makes for a a feel bad situation. So make sure you still have conversations with your opponent about terrain. Uh, But I think uh, organizers should definitely have things marked.
2: Definitely. Definitely. So, Uh, Next up, we have uh, BF Trick, or Pat, uh, so he says, do you prefer leagues slash tourneys on TTS more or less than in real life? What are the pros and cons? So, I'm going to say I 100% prefer real life just because interacting with your opponent and, and talking and just laughing, having a good time, all that stuff, is just it feels better and also you kind of have to play just ever so slightly different like on TTS you can micro measure everything right like like we know certain measurements from our TTS so like if you're standing at range one on one side of an objective and somebody else is at range one on the other side you're within range two of each other right so we know that that's a measurement we can we can use but at the same time i like the idea of of in person kind of you know things are going to get bumped things are going to get wiggled you know you're not going to have ultra 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 precise measurement and i like that like and it's just it means that you have to kind of interact with your opponent in a way that's like hey is this good okay it's not great well then let me do this thing to make make it now where i'm in range or whatever and i just I really prefer the in-person environment, but I do like the precision that TTS gives and I think that it's really good for for what it's good for. And, and if you can't get together with people, then it's absolutely the best thing. Uh, 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 Josh, what do you think?
0: Uh, I agree. I, I don't think you're going to come across a lot of people who play TTS that would say they prefer TTS. Uh, TTS is a great tool. Um, I, I you know you can I think it's a great practice tool. Um, for real life events. And in the COVID times, I think it's, a, and even outside of COVID times, I think it's a great way to play against people that you would never get to play with normally, right? Like mm-hmm. we were talking about the people that we met online. We, we met most of these people through playing TTS. Um, and we know people from Europe and Australia and, you know, the West Coast of America that we probably wouldn't have had any real interactions with if it wasn't for it. And I think it's great for that. Uh, and sort of, you know, all these great minds in the community coming together to, you know, figure out what's good in the game or what's cool or what's fun. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we all would much rather be playing in person with real models and uh, being able to see our, our opponent's face and, you know, joke, like you said, and laugh and, and have a great time, um, which isn't, you know, a negative to TTS itself uh it's just we're all miniatures gamers you know tts gives us the feeling of playing a miniatures game but all in all it's really a, a video game
2: and that's not what we what we're playing exactly uh, i think that's exactly it what do you think nate
1: uh i am 100 with you guys i think uh in in real life uh, is, is the way to go uh Tabletop games have always had the the large appeal and uh, community surround or, around them because it is community interaction. It is uh, getting out there, playing games, socializing, making memories. Uh, I mean, obviously there are perks behind a TTS event like a league where it's very easy and much uh, you don't have to like carry all your stuff out to a store, get the game in, drive back. You're able to just like sit there and you're. Uh, uh, gym shorts and play knock out a game real quick in a, in an hour or so instead of the whole process uh, so there are those advantages to it but uh, i think for a a tournament uh in person's the the way to go if you're able to
2: yeah i'm with you there so iron mag 44 says what's your most wanted slash middle of the road and slash least expected characters slash scenes coming out next or the near future so Number one for me, Most Wanted, Fantastic Four. Middle of the Road and Least Expected, probably everything else. Uh, Least Expected would be Werewolf by Night. That's probably (laughs) the least expected thing for me, but Fantastic Four, period, I want that. Nothing else. Nate? Uh,
1: Most Wanted uh, definitely goes to uh, Fantastic Four, not because of Fantastic Four, but because with them will surely come Doctor Doom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then... uh, Middle of the road. I, he's not middle of the road, but Agent Venom. He he's just like right beside Doom. Like oh, it, yeah. it, it's obligatory at this point. Uh, least expected, uh, there is an official Deadpool comic that has all uh, All Might in it. So I'd love for some uh, my hero representation.
2: Oh, nice. There you go. What about you, Josh?
1: Um, see,
0: I, I I like all kinds of weird characters. I don't know if he's really middle of the road, but um, something I'd really like to see is um. Robbie Reyes, Uh I love Ghost Rider. Um but really the first Ghost Rider comic I ever read was the Robbie Reyes run. Uh, and I really like his character. I really like the way he looks. He'd be really I feel like he'd be a really fun one on the table. Um Uh I gotta say Gambit. Yeah. You know, yeah. Gambit's uh my boy. Uh and Rogue along with him. Um obscure characters. It's hard to say. I probably, if he wasn't out, would have said Modok, because <laughs> he so, he would have looked, I would have said he looks so stupid on the table. Um, Go <laughs>
1: with like Arlem Zola.
0: Zola would be a good one. He'd be stupid on the table, and I would have said Mister Sinister too. Um, I don't know. Like, there's so many characters I want to see. Uh, Bombastic Bagman would be fun.
2: Oh, that'd be great. Yep, that'd or, be great. Or
0: like any of that Fantastic Four run would be really cool. Um, some of the Kang variants would be pretty cool, Mm -hmm. like Immortus or whatever, uh, spoiler alert for, uh, upcoming MCU stuff. (laughs) Right. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to choose. I I think my primary one that I, the one on top of my list are both Gambit and, uh, Robbie Reyes.
2: Nice. Okay, cool. So, uh, Jarrah has an additional thing about the whole seasons and all that stuff, um, uh, in addition to that stuff. And I think we kind of covered it, but I still want to read the question here. It says, to add to the question about the seasons, is it, I'd look more at Malifo's season packs. So, rather than, say, Steamroller, where you've got mission packs, you get a list of, say, 10 secures and 10 extracts, and you pick three from that set of 10. That way, each game is still unique, but a bit more manageable for new players, especially if you can buy the season packs like you can with Malifaux. That's basically what I said. So, yeah, there you go. Like I, it's, That, I think, would be... The way to handle it, but like we've talked about, I don't think we're there yet because I did count. There's 22 total crises right now, and I just don't see the the point in in doing that just yet. So,
0: I, I still stand by. I would if if the new player concern is the primary concern. I think having card packs for new players. One, I think it's a good idea anyway. And two, I think that solves that particular aspect of the. Um, increasing number of crisis problems without, you know, invalidating purchases of older players and keeping the primary identity of, um, that aspect of MCP intact.
2: 100%. So next up we have, uh, Sandbox here is a local for me, Sean says, for the next TTS season, what affiliations do you foresee rising up or falling off? Nate, what do you think?
1: Uh, I'm going to have two answers, Uh, one for the ones that I think are going to do well, and then another answer for the the teams that are going to just see the most representation. Uh, Teams that I think are going to do really well are uh, the Sam Spam, as it's going to be new to a lot of players, and like we saw at NashCon, if you don't know how to play into it or you're not prepared for it, Sam Spam does really well. We had four out of our top eight be Sam players. Three of those were Sam Spam. And then that other list was the one with Thor and She-Hulk. So like, it's just a, a good leadership with, that has a lot of play. Uh, I think Web Warriors are also going to be in a really good spot with the uh, their additions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I think most popular, though, uh, we're going to see a lot of Dormammu. And we're going to see uh, a lot of Midnight Suns.
2: Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I, I actually do think Midnight Suns is going to do really well, but I do agree kind of in what you said. I think the most popular thing is going to be probably Dormammu and then Sam Spam just because it's kind of making the rounds. Uh, but I I do foresee that uh, Midnight Suns is going to do well. In terms of falling off, I think we're about to see Brotherhood take a big hit. I mean, we already saw it kind of in Season 5 how – started off ultra popular and then fell off. So I could see Brotherhood taking a hit. And then, um,
1: I bet Wakanda takes yeah. a, a hit. In representation. Yeah.
2: I was, I was just about to say that was my next one. So what about you, Josh?
0: Um, I can agree with those. I think another one that will start to see more popularity. And this is, I would like to preface, I am basing a lot of my opinions on the baseless assumption <laughs> that all you've got is going to get banned at the mini stravaganza. Um, I think if that's the case, you'll see a little bit more A-Force hitting the scene. Um, there's already some rumblings from people say, talking about A-Force and how She-Hulk's a monster. And uh, the affiliation is basically just, are you a good character in this game? If yes, are you a female? If yes, you are an A-Force. <laughs> um, Except for Gwen. Or Enchantress. Except for Gwen and Enchantress. Poor uh, Enchantress, I understand. Gwen, I'm just like, what? Yep. Domino's in.
2: Yep, it's sad. But anyways, continue.
0: Um so I think A Force will see a pretty cool rise. Um I kind of foresee if all you've got gets banned, Sam spam being very popular first half, and then maybe dropping off a little bit as people start to like find answers and people uh and they lose a little bit from losing all you've got. Um and then oh, there's one more. I think black I think Black Order. We'll take a hit if all you got gets banned. And I think people are starting to, because it won, uh, really tech for it and will sort of unlock some of the ways to counter it. Um, And I think once you count, I think Black Order is one of those that if you can counter it, it's a much easier game uh, than a lot of other affiliations. Because like I said, they they want to play a completely different game than you do.
2: Right, right. That's Um, fair.
0: Web Warriors will also be really popular and Spider Foes will be really popular.
2: Oh, I'm definitely like where Spider Foes is right now. So, uh, with that, now the, the last question we have here is going forward with in person tournaments, would you keep the rule set NashCon offered or would you adjust anything? As an example, time limit, end of round interactions, addition to, of chess clocks, etc. And we got to make this one kind of quick because we got to wrap up the show here. For me, it would be a time limit thing like we talked about kind of at the beginning of this whole discussion about NashCon. I would say giving another 10 to 15 minutes of of time and then the the only other thing i could see being adjusted is like you know when you call dice down if someone's like in the middle of a roll, you know like finishing out that roll would maybe be something to look at but i don't you know i don't know how you would necessarily go about handling that uh and josh i'm gonna let you chime in here and then i want to get nate's like final take on it
0: um Yeah, some some changes to dice down might be okay, and like you said, some time limit stuff. Personally, with the chess clock thing, I would like the option for chess clocks. I know a lot of people don't like that. I like chess clocks a lot. I think that there is certainly a middle ground. It doesn't necessarily have to be you run out of time, you lose. Uh, There, I've heard people talk about a Guild Ball version where it doesn't auto lose you the game, and uh, it kind of gives your opponent victory points when you run out.
2: That's the way I would do it.
0: I think that's fine. Um, I just, I, I, think at this point in the game, we don't need them. I do think that keeping them in the conversation and looking at options for them was a good idea, though. Absolutely. But other than that, I think the rules packet was well done. I think there's not a whole lot that needs to change. The game kind of runs itself as long as you give it the right framework.
2: Yeah. Nate, what about you? Any of those examples kind of stand out to you?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, we, we talked about at the beginning uh, yeah. wanting to give a little bit more time because of some of those matchups. Uh, and if the game gets big enough and gets to the point where chess clocks and like some sort of uh, penalty, uh, chess clock could be added into the game. I think that would be great for the competitive scene. Uh, but it's not something that necessarily needs to, to be the immediate like plug in. Like if I'm going to an event in October, I don't think that we're at that point. Yeah.
0: No. I I don't think your local casual games necessarily need to have it. I think it's mostly for your cons and maybe even just your top cuts
1: in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I I can feel you on that. So with that though, uh, Nate, where can people find you
1: Uh, guys? As always, I'm over on YouTube at the gamers guild, Uh, have all sorts of Marvel crest protocol content from character reviews, battle reports, even though those are a little bit harder to come by at the moment, Uh, but Mm -hmm. uh, just all sorts of uh, MCP goodness.
2: Josh, where can people find you?
0: Um, Doing Merzane things.
2: Doing Merzane things, that's right. (laughs) Um,
0: I help run the TTS League, so if you're on the TTS Discord, you can talk to me there, and I will answer any questions you have about that. I'm part of the Turn Zero Gaming Podcast crew, loosely affiliated. Me and Kenny run the Advanced R&D Podcast, uh, and you can listen to that. We build lists and cool stuff. Uh, Other than that, I'm on various other Discords, um, and you can just talk to me. And I will say
2: hi. Yep, you're 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 everywhere. You're you're just spreading the love all over the place. And exactly. suits out there listening, you can uh, uh, send us emails at housepartyprotocolpod at gmail Send us messages on our Facebook page, and uh, leave comments on whenever we make a post. I really. Really enjoy those interactions a lot, and it's it's really nice to kind of get out there and talk to everybody and and get everyone's opinion on different stuff. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can check out our Patreon. It's Patreon.com/slash/HousePartyProtocol. You get access to our Discord. You get extra bonus entries whenever we do giveaways. Which be on the lookout very soon. We're going to be doing a uh, all the the spider things that just came out. We're going to be doing a giveaway for that. So keep it locked right here. We're going to give. All the details. Make sure to check out our Facebook page because that's where we'll make the post when we do the giveaway and uh, everything. It'll probably run for about a month. And uh, yeah, that'll be all kinds of fun there. And uh, yeah, just come check it out, say hi, and uh, we have a pretty chill time on our Discord. And with that, party on, Nate.
1: Party on, Razane party on guys i guess is this the <laughs> thing
2: that we're doing now i'm yes. so scared
0: <laughs> yes and i'm actually frightened
2: actually frightened <laughs> well now we can power down suits